All right, guys. Well, we are starting a new series tonight uh, called War and Peace, A Biblical Guide to Conflict Resolution. And uh, I wanted to start this, just let you know a little bit about me uh, to get us into this topic. And that is the fact that one of my favorite sources of entertainment is watching people get the daylight scared out of them on any sort of video on Instagram or Facebook or YouTube or whatever. It's one of my sick and twisted ways of entertaining myself. I like watching people get scared. Uh, mainly because no one looks cool when they're scared. It doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter what you're trying to do or who you're trying to impress. When you're scared, we all look ridiculous. In fact, in my day, if you were here a couple years ago, we did a, a nice Halloween scare video, one of my favorite things I've ever done in ministry. We sent Jason, our worship leader, and at that time, one of our interns, Leah, to a haunted house and videotaped them, kind of like the Ellen Show. And I watched, I wasted a lot of time that week in the office just watching the raw footage, the edited footage over and over. It's just fun because usually people have one or two, one, one of two reactions to being scared. It's either the flight or fight, right? How many of you guys know who you are? Do you guys know? How many, how many fighters do we have in here? All right, you get scared, you immediately like, all right, let's go. How many flighters do we have in here? You're like, I'm out of here. Okay, you, you know, you know? Like, you've probably seen that video. One of my favorites is, uh, I, don't, it's, I think it's a high school, they're doing an interview. There's a big trash can, and they're interviewing this guy, and the guy pops out of the trash can. You guys know what I'm talking about? And this dude gets scared and immediately just turns and punches the dude in the face. Like, just, it, like, doesn't even think, just automatically, boom, knocks the guy out, he drops. And then there's always the videos where people just go running. Jason is a runner, by the way. Um, especially there's chainsaws involved. He's a, he's, he's a sprint, get me out of here. We'll show it around Halloween. We'll, we'll pull that out of the archives, Jay, just for you. Um, but there's kind of that one or the, or, or if you're like Mary Ashton, she just told us today that she, when she gets scared, she's a melt into the floor, fall down, and just don't do anything. Like, just easy pray for whatever's coming. All right, so maybe you're that person. But, you know, the, the, the reason I tell you that about myself and, and the, what I like, because to me, like, those, that fight or flight or melt uh, mentality is typically how we deal with conflict. Like, that's our world. We're either a fight type of person, I'm going to stand my ground and I'm going to destroy you, or I'm just going to avoid it at all costs. I'm just going to withdraw. I'm going to back off. Like, that's kind of how our world kind of functions. And I can't remember, I can't think of a day in my years where we live in a society where we need another option desperately when it comes to conflict. How do we actually deal with that? Because we live in a world that's waiting, just waiting to be offended. I mean, I, I truly believe there are people on Twitter that wake up every morning, look at the trending topics, and be like, what can I be outraged about today? They don't even know what they were mad about last week. But today, they're fired up, they're gonna protest, they're gonna boycott, whatever. Because that's what we do. We live in a world waiting to make their next enemy. We live in a world growing up where we have a word called frenemy. Like people we like, but we kind of low-key hate them. Right, we know these things. Most of us live with a pretty healthy fear of conflict. Because look, if you're anything like me growing up, no one sat me down and said, Andy, this is how you deal with conflict. 
This is how you actually enter it and deal with it in a healthy way, in a biblical way. In fact, I do a lot of, because I'm the young adult pastor, over the last five years, I've gotten to do a pretty good fair share of marriage counseling as couples prepare for marriage. And one of the questions I always ask them is tell me about your biggest fight. And I would say probably about 75% of them look at me really proud of themselves and they say, we've never fought. And I'm like, oh, oh my, okay. And I try to get them to fight. No, just kidding. And so, but that's like, there, there's, there's a little bit like, yeah, we don't, we don't fight. We love each other so much that we have never had a disagreement and we've never fought. Can I, and, and I push back and, and so, well, t- talk to me about that. Why, why have you not fought? And they, we, we kind of talk around it, but here's, here's what the reality is. At least this was my reality when I met Taylor and we were dating and we got engaged. We never fought either because low key, I was scared that if we fought, she would leave me because I didn't know how to fight. I only knew how to win. I didn't know how to actually like have a conflict with someone that I cared about and I wanted it to go well. And so I just didn't, I just avoided. And I think that's what a lot of us do, whether it's with someone we're dating or a friend or a family member, is we say, I'm just, I'm low-key anxious and, and, and scared that if we actually have a conflict, if we have a disagreement, it will go so badly that they will not love me anymore and they will leave me. Our friendship will be over, they will break up with me, whatever it is. And so we live with a pretty healthy level of anxiety regarding conflict. And so therefore, we either avoid it altogether or we fight about it. Because we've been taught mostly through observation, because there's no class in high school on how to biblically conflict with each other, right? We just observe that there are these two options, fight or flight. Or is this one author who wrote a wonderful book called Peacemaker, uh, Ken Sandy, he, he calls it, we're either taught to be peace-breaking or peace-faking. And so here's what I want to do for the next couple minutes. I want to lay some groundwork because this is going to be a, a, a four to five week series. And so what I want to do right now is I want to lay some groundwork about this idea of peace uh, breaking and peace faking. And so I don't know how many of you guys like uh, going out. How many of you guys are outdoors people? Anybody? I'm a big outdoors guy. When I need to think, when I need to relax, when I want to go on vacation, I want to go to the mountains. I want to be outside. And one of the things that you see when you're outside walking through Martin Nature Park or wherever is you see birds. And there are usually two types of birds that you see. You see like the sparrow that's flying from tree to tree working really hard to build the nest and get the food and do all the stuff, right? They're working the details. And then you also see in Oklahoma the hawks just soaring with the wind. And they don't ever seem to do anything. They're just up there chilling, hanging out. And every once in a while they'll come down, do their stuff. Well, this, is, I wanna, this series, we're going to be like birds, okay? And today, we're going to be like the eagle. We're going to be like the hawk. We're going to get on a 30,000-foot view of conflict. And over the next four weeks, we're going to get down into the nitty-gritty of what it actually looks like to be in conflict and how we deal with it biblically, okay? Does that make sense? So tonight, we're going to take a big view of conflict, and then in the coming weeks, we're going to get into the nitty-gritty. And so the big view is this idea of peace-breaking versus peace faking, because this is what we do. We fight or flight. The first one is peace breaking. We see this concept in Acts chapter six. We see Stephen coming into town preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it doesn't go well with the locals. 
And so what the locals do is they, they get together and they make up some lies and some untruths about Stephen. And they find some guys and they go and they arrest him and eventually stone him to death. You see, they weren't made about being peacemakers. They were aggressive. They wanted to win. And what winning looks like is attacking. It's winning a conflict versus preserving a relationship. They didn't want a relationship with Stephen. They wanted to defeat him. They wanted to shut him down. And that's what they did. And that's exactly what they did. We see this all day in our political system right now. Right? There's no care about getting, actually having a conversation and preserving and building trust in a relationship. All we see by our elected officials is, I'm going to destroy you. I'm going to drag your name through the mud, all of your ideas through the mud. You're worth nothing. You're an idiot. Don't everybody, like, that's the world that's being displayed for us. It's not conflict, it's peace breaking, it's aggressive. The peace breakers view conflict as something to be won, an opportunity to declare our rights, to control others, and take advantage of them by outsmarting outwitting, out-emoting, and out-shouting our opponents. Because in this conflict, as being a, a peace breaker, we view people as our opponent, not a person. We see them as a problem and an issue instead of a person that God made and created in his image. And there's kind of two ways to be a peace breaker. One is super obvious, and let me tell you a story to uh, describe this to you. When I was in high school, actually my whole life up through probably middle college, I was kind of a, what's the right word? I was a spaz, okay? <laughs> like I did not, I was not self-controlled at all, especially when it came to competition. And my brother and I, he's a year older than me, we had a lot of athletic competition. So we would go, and one of our, the things we played was tennis in the summertime, and even though I was better than him, and all you younger siblings will know this, I was better than him, taller, faster. I could never beat him because he was swimming laps up here. Like he just knew he had me. And so one day we were playing tennis and he was making fun of me and calling me a spaz and you know, whatever. I was throwing my racket across the court. It was bad. Like he wasn't pursuing a healthy relationship with his younger brother. He was just pushing buttons, right? He was just, a, he was being aggressively attacking me and talking trash. And so finally, I just quit. We drove home and in our front yard, we threw down. In front of all the neighbors, just threw down right in the front yard. He was 18, I was 17. I had had it, I had 17 years of oppression. And I took it out on my brother in the front yard and we fought because I wanted to win and he wanted to win. And so our relationship was damaged. Because the relationship was not what we were going for. We wanted to be winners. We wanted to win. There's another way to be peace breakers. And I think this is a much more subversive and much more culturally acceptable than having a fight in the front yard. Because most of us don't do that, right? We don't just like get in and come, all right, fisticuffs, let's go, here we go. Like we don't do that. That's not socially acceptable, except in your family probably. But the other way we subversively do it is this little word that we call gossip. We attack people without them ever actually knowing it. You ever be on one side of gossip, it doesn't feel good. It feels aggressive. 
It's not peacemaking, it's peace breaking. There's a pastor that I like to, to follow and read and, and listen to. His name's Scott Sauls. I believe he's out of Nashville. He said this, gossip is pornography of the mouth. Like pornography, it seeks a cheap thrill at someone else's expense with zero commitment to them. We're using someone else for a cheap thrill with absolutely no commitment to them. I'm like, yeah, that sounds about right. Because I've been on the bad side of gossip, you know, and I've also been on the side where I have gossiped. But that's not peacemaking, it's peace breaking. That's the fight part of conflict. And that's what we tend to do. I'm gonna win, I'm gonna defeat you, I'm gonna be right, I'm gonna be smarter, I'm gonna be more emotional, and so therefore I'm right. The other side is not the fight, it's the flight. And Ken Sandy in his book calls this the peace faking. And we see this in Genesis chapter 16. Mary Ashton talked about it this summer, the story of Hagar, right? God had promised Abraham children, they weren't having children. And so Abram told his wife, Sarah, hey, go sleep with Hagar, my servant, and she will bear us a child. And that's exactly what they did. He slept with his servant, Hagar. She got pregnant. They had a baby. And Sarah and Hagar started not, not getting along, conflict. And Sarah came to her husband, Abram, and said, hey, you're the problem here. You need to fix this. And he said, no, do whatever you want. I'm, I'm going to back away. And he steps out of the situation, totally avoids it, says, you deal with it. He's faking peace because he's not willing to engage it. And this particular peace faking, the flight, the avoidance, if we can be honest, the church, the Christians, we're really good at this. We're really good at this. Because at the core of who we are, we get this feeling that like conflict is a bad thing, that it's icky, that it might ruin my reputation. I don't want to be known as a troublemaker. And so in church, if we're, we're not gonna be aggressively attacking anybody, but we'll subversively gossip about them, or we'll just slowly back away from a relationship and never actually deal with it. The problem with the fight or the flight is both ruin the relationship. Because both fight and both flight, both peace breaking and peace faking are selfish. If we enter into conflict either way, it's selfish. I'm responding out of my fear, out of my insecurity, out of my need to be right, whatever it may be. If we ignore it, it'll just go away. The idea of time heals all wounds. Like this is where the entire idea of ghosting comes in. It's not a new, new concept. Like we have a relationship problem and I just slowly back away and I'll find new friends because I just don't want to deal with it. Like we've seen that happen here at Crossings, at the gathering, in our young adult community. I've seen this happen over the last five years where there's a disagreement between two of you and one of you or both of you say, you know what, we'll just not talk about it and eventually, poof, gone. We never see him again. Because we're not willing to engage in conflict in a biblical manner. In most conflicts, we innately focus on escaping or defeating both. Both escaping and defeating leave the relationship forever damaged. Rarely do we ever even think that there might be a third option. One where we don't have to fight and one where we don't have to flee. And this third option is actually the better option. It's the divine option. And truth be told, it's the option that you and I actually are longing for. It's the biblical option. 
Because the biblical option when it comes to conflict is restorative. It's life-giving. It's full of hope. And you walk away from conflict when you've done it biblically stronger and more trusting and more caring about the other person. And it's the peacemaking process. In in Colossians chapter one, we see it spelled out for us on an eternal level. All right, because let's be honest, if we look at scripture, we have a problem. It's called sin, and that sin puts us in conflict with God. It separates us, in the garden, there's conflict, there's disobedience, there's rebellion. And so we've been separated from God. There's conflict. Colossians 1, 19 through 22 says this. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. It's peacemaking. Peace breaking feels like betrayal. It feels like being attacked. Peace faking feels like denial and avoidance and relationships slowly dying. But peace making feels like the relationship is the primary goal. It feels like being given the benefit of the doubt and giving the benefit of the doubt. It's hard, but it's beneficial. It feels like you're being honored and you're honoring someone. It feels like you're being respectful and you're saving the relationship, not giving up on the relationship. Now, as I've lived my life and I've experienced all kinds of conflict, biblical conflict doesn't automatically feel good, okay? It doesn't. Because all of us have an ego and we all have pride. And so anytime someone comes to us and says, hey, I got a problem with you, or you've done something to me, like our natural human response is, oh, really? Tell me more about that and then I'll tell you why you're wrong. That's my pride. So I'm not saying that biblical conflict is gonna feel all warm and fuzzy, but I, what I will tell you is it feels like they've, someone values you. It feels like the relationship is the most important thing. I would argue this point with anybody is that sometimes, most of the time, no, all the time, walking in biblical conflict resolution can be the most loving thing you can do for someone that you love and care for. The most unloving thing you can do is say, you know what, it's not worth it. You're not worth it, so I'll just walk away. I will give up our friendship because I'm not willing to actually have an honest conversation with you and tell you that I love you enough to say this. Entering into conflict can be, when done biblically, the most loving thing that you can do for a friend or a family member or someone you care for. You see, when relationships exist, Conflict is inevitable. But the way we face conflict is up to you and me. In this series, I hope to, at a minimum, cause us to pause for a moment and think about conflict differently. And at best, call us to abandon the approaches of our world 
to withdraw and avoid an attack. And instead, consider the approach God has laid out in his word. You see, working through conflict from God's perspective will actually be the source of constant blessing and opportunity instead of constant discouragement and frustration. And I think you and I will be amazed to see how honest God's word is about conflict. Talks about it all the time. In every epistle, the author talks about conflict and unity. And if you and I will apply this, you'll be even more amazed to watch this plan, this biblical plan to bring healing and health to your relationships. In family relationships, at your workplace, in your friend groups, with your siblings, with your parents. And so here's what I wanna talk about tonight. I know that was a long runway, but I wanted to lay some groundwork. What we're gonna talk about tonight is that conflict is an opportunity to embrace, not an obstacle to avoid. All right, conflict is an opportunity to embrace, not an obstacle to avoid. Now some of you are like, it is never an opportunity to embrace, <laughs> right? Why? Because we've never seen it done well. Why is it not an opportunity to embrace? Because it's never modeled for us by the people that we see and watch and listen to and follow. We don't see biblical conflict done in a wide public setting. We don't. But I believe over the next five weeks, as we look at this and we get into the weeds of conflict, you're gonna walk out of this saying, all right, I'm ready to do this differently. And I'm excited for that because I've seen it bear fruit in my life. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna, if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians 10. That's gonna be kind of our, 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 our anchor scripture this, uh, tonight. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Um, I'll give you a second to get there. Basically what this section of scripture is, is, is Paul writing a letter to the church in Corinth. And there's, there's, uh, he's kind of doing the, the sparrow hawk thing too. Uh, in verse 23, he's, he's up here. He, you know, all things um, are acceptable, but not all beneficial, right? He's talking about all things. And then he gets into the weeds, into this one specific situation about food, all right? And somebody might be offended what you should do. And then he comes out and gets back up to the 30,000-foot level, and that's where we pick him up. Paul says this, so whether you eat or you drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way. For I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. My first point tonight is this. Conflict is an opportunity to glorify God. Conflict is an opportunity to glorify God. And, and that term, we, we throw that term around, glorify God. What does that mean? I want to give you a quick definition for what does it mean to glorify God. It means to bring praise and honor by showing who he is, what he is like, and what he is doing. Let me read that one more time. To bring praise and honor by showing who God is, what God is like, and what God is doing. Ultimately, pray, to glorify God means to make God look supremely valuable. To make God look extremely valuable. And the best way to do this is to depend on and draw attention to God's grace and his mercy and his forgiveness and his strength and his ways. So conflict can be an opportunity to glorify God by entering into conflict and displaying the character of God. 
when we walk into conflict, when we walk into work every day, when we walk into a date, when we walk in whatever situation it may be, it doesn't have to be conflict. It's an opportunity for you to reflect God's mercy and God's grace and God's forgiveness. You see, when conflict goes bad is when we allow our own ambitions and our insecurities and our fears to be what we, re we represent. So conflict is an opportunity to glorify God. We reflect the character of God in the midst of conflict, and that's hard. Because conflict has a unique ability to bring out our true colors, doesn't it? Like, if I can be transparent for a minute, when I get into conflict, when someone confronts me, you, you heard it earlier, my first reaction is, oh, really? Oh, you wanna go there? Okay, so let me pull out my list of things that you've done that discredit everything you're saying, right? Because most, when, when I deal with conflict and people come talk to me, like my first inclination is to let my fears and my insecurities and my failures all come, and I'm in defense mode. I'm not here to reconcile, I'm here to defend myself because my pride is rich and my ego is big and I wake up that way every day. And so, of course, if you have two people who are all about ego and pride who are coming together to conflict, of course it's not going to go well. But if you have two people, or at least 50%, right, because you can only represent 50% of an argument, if you're coming and saying, I'm here to glorify God, think about that for a second. Have you ever thought about conflict? Say, hey, God, how, how can I glorify you in this conversation? I've been hurt, I've been wronged. I feel like, you, whatever it is, God, help me glorify you in this conversation. What a change of heart. What a change of attitude when we walk into a conversation. Because now the goal is not you and your glory, it's God's glory. And what we see Paul saying here is, whether you eat or whether you drink or whatever you do, glorify God. Whenever you conflict, whenever you argue, Glorify God. My second point tonight is that conflict is an opportunity to serve others. Verse 32 and 33, Paul writes, do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way. For I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many. And this sounds absurd, right? conflict as an opportunity to serve somebody else, someone I'm disagreeing with, someone that has harmed me, someone that has gossiped about me, someone who's d done me wrong. It sounds absurd to say, hey, conflict is actually an opportunity to serve someone, to love them, to show them the mercy and forgiveness of Christ. Because that is not the culture you have grown up in. It's not the culture I've grown up in. It's not the culture we currently live in. The culture that we currently live in says, hey, you look out for you and you make sure you're taken care of. Make sure your rights are defended. Make sure your opinion is voiced. Make sure that you, 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 you. And what Paul's saying here is, no, 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 no. For I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many. He's not about him, he's about the kingdom. How can I make God look good and serve for the good of many. 
even in the midst of conflict. We see Jesus in Luke chapter six give a very pointed command. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. Man, Jesus is so countercultural, is he not? Did you hear what he said? He said, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you and pray for those who mistreat you. Our world would say the opposite. Our world would say, hate your enemies. Get back at those who bless you and curse those who mistreat you. That's our culture. And what Jesus is teaching here is completely turns the world upside down. No, no, pray for your enemy. You have conflict with somebody, someone's wronged you, pray for them. Can we be honest? Like, when was the last time we earnestly sought the Lord on behalf of someone we were disagreeing with? When was the last time I said, God, I don't like this person. They treat me poorly. They don't respect me. They, they gossip about me. God bless them. Show them your mercy. Like, that's not in me, right? That's, that's the Bible. That's Jesus in me, if it ever happens. But that's what Paul's telling. He's saying, listen, it's not for my own good. I'm, I'm, I'm seeking the good of many. I, in fact, had just a couple months ago, a staff member here at church come to my office and displayed this to me. They came to my office and said, hey, Andy, I heard you were saying this. Um, and it really frustrated me and really hurt my feelings. Did you say that? I was like, yes, I did say that, but not in the context you heard it. Let's talk about it. And we had a really healthy conversation where they served me. They honored me and cared for me enough to come to me and say, hey, this is what's going on, what's going on. Did you say that? And I cannot tell you how much I appreciated that because they said, our relationship is more important than me listening through the grapevine what you may have said or what you may have meant. I've seen two other staff members on this staff at Crossing do the exact same thing not a month and a half ago. Feelings were hurt, they came together, they talked about it, they were honest and said, hey, I value you, What's, here's what I heard, this is what I felt, and you know what? They walked away being stronger and better teammates. You see, biblical conflict resolution brings people together and solidifies relationship instead of destroys them. Our world offers conflict resolution that destroys relationships instead of reconciles them. Philippians 2.4, Paul writes another letter to the Philippians and he says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of one another. And so as we approach conflict, we need to see it as an opportunity to serve someone else's needs. And you know what, that, that, what it actually might look like is sitting down and understanding where they're coming from. Because maybe you don't know the whole story. Maybe you don't understand the burden they're bearing. It requires us to humble ourselves and sit and say, hey, let's talk this out. I value you enough to ask. I care about our relationship enough to have a conversation about this. How can I bear this burden with you? How can I help, how can we think through this so that we can walk out of here better friends than when we walked in here? 
My last point tonight is that conflict is an opportunity to display our faith. Conflict is an opportunity to give God glory. It's an opportunity to serve one another. And conflict is an opportunity to display our faith. In verse 33, Paul finishes, he says, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. So that they may be saved. You see, conflict is not just bad. It is missional. God made us relational people, so there is going to be conflict. Like It's just part of life. But in God's mercy and his sovereignty, he said, you know what? Even in conflict, we're going to show people the gospel of Jesus. That Jesus has actually done something in my life. And it's going to be played out in front of you, even in conflict. It's our motivation. Our motivation is not just to glorify God. Our motivation is not just to serve one another. Our motivation as Christians is to do so in such a way that others may be saved meaning the gospel comes in to conflict. You see, when peace and unity characterize your relationships with other people, you show that you are God's child and that he is actually present in your life. Let me say that again. When peace and unity characterize your relationships, that is the evidence of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit residing in you. Because God is a God of peace, and he is a God of unity. And that is the fruit of the Spirit, is peace. But the bad news is the opposite is also true. When your life or my life is characterized by unresolved conflict and a a litany of broken relationships, I promise you that you will have little success in sharing the good news of Jesus and his saving work on the cross. We talked about this in our, in our, in our uh, work series last spring. It's hard to be a representative of God's grace and mercy and goodness when we're a terrible employee. It's hard for people to look at us and listen to anything we have to say if we're the laziest employee. And it's the same thing with relationships. If we can't learn how to biblically do conflict with people and our whole life is riddled with broken relationships, ghosting friendships, and, 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 and whatever then we're no different. And so what we have to offer, no one's gonna care about. But if our relationships are identified by the mercy and grace and love of Christ, you will stick out like a sore thumb. And people will wanna know what makes you so different. Why do you not yell at me? Why do you not gossip about me? Why did you not throw me under the bus in that meeting? Because they know what they've done. But when we respond the way Christ has responded to us with grace and mercy and patience and goodness and kindness, it will blow people's mind. And we do so, not just so that we have better relationships, we do so so that many will be saved. Conflict opens doors for the gospel to be presented, especially when we do it biblically. And this idea of conflict is a huge theme in the Bible. It's all over the place. Did you know uh, in John 17, one of Jesus' last prayers with his disciples, and some of you may know this, is for that they would be unified. That they would be of like mind. 
Paul and and the, the disciples, in every epistle in the New Testament, there's a section about unity. Because Jesus and his disciples knew that one of the greatest enemies to the church of Jesus Christ will be conflict within the team. And we see this all the time, right? We see churches split. We see denominations fighting and bickering with each other. And if I'm the world and I'm not a Christ follower, I look at that and be like, they're no different. They're no di- Why would I listen to them? They're no different than everybody else. Like the church mirrors our political climate too often. Instead of looking at scripture and saying, God, inform my heart of how I should enter in to this conflict. How do I deal with this? How do I glorify you? How do I serve one another so that many will be saved? You see, before the world that we live in, before your coworkers and your neighbors and your family, before they will ever read this Bible, before they will ever listen to a sermon, they are going to be observers before they're hearers. They're going to observe us, what we talk about, what we don't talk about, what we engage in, what we don't engage in. They're gonna watch how we deal with conflict and see if it's any different than the people who are atheists or Muslim or whatever it may be. Before they're gonna be hearers of the gospel, they're gonna be observers of the gospel. And we have to ask ourselves, has our faith impacted how we view conflict? Because it is a wonderful and magnificent platform. And it takes practice. We're probably not gonna get it right the first time. That's why I always walk into a conversation asking for forgiveness right off the bat. I may not do this well, but I want you to know my heart is for you. Right? Because here's the real deal. When we do conflict biblically, it is going to be compelling to people. Because it's not fight and it's not flight. It is peacemaking. And it is gonna be compelling for people and it's gonna be an open door for you and I to display the gospel of Jesus. Because our world doesn't show them that. So as I close, I always like to give a couple so what's, right? Some questions, some thoughts for you to sit with this week or this month as we go through the series. Here, 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 here they are. Number one, sorry I don't have slides tonight, didn't have time. Number one, I want, I, I want to humbly ask you to start praying and asking God to change your view of conflict over the next four weeks. Because you might be the flight person, you might be the fight person, you might be the melt into the floor person. But what I'm gonna ask you, gathering followers of Christ, over the next four weeks, let's ask God to change and transform our view of conflict. That we wouldn't just see it as bad, but we would see it as an opportunity. Secondly, I wanna encourage you and challenge you to stop seeing people as your opponent, but as a child of God. That person at work, that family member, that friend that betrayed you, that talked behind your back, stop seeing them as an opponent who wronged you. But see them and ask God to say, God, help me see them the way you see them. And then lastly, ask yourself this question, how can I glorify God in this situation? Ask him, God, how can I glorify you when I've been crushed, when I've been hurt? Because that is powerful. If we can glorify God in the valleys, that will stick out. And it will be for your good and for his glory.
and it will draw people into the gospel of Jesus because that's something our world does not offer. So start praying for God to ask you to change, to change your view of conflict. Stop seeing people as your opponent, but as a child of God. And lastly, ask God how you can, you can glorify him in this situation. And the reason we cover this, kind of the overarching umbrella of this idea of conflict, is because this conflict resolution, this biblical conflict resolution has been modeled to us through Jesus. Romans chapter five, verse 10, said because of our sin, we are enemies of God. Because of what Adam and Eve did in the garden, caused a conflict between you and I and God. But God didn't come at us with aggression and he didn't ghost us. What God did was he entered our conflict and he said, I'm gonna love you and show you value and show you honor when you don't deserve it. And I'm gonna send you Jesus Christ who left his home, who left his throne, who left his comfort and said, I'm gonna come be with you and I am going to reconcile you to God. So we don't just do conflict biblically so that your life will be better, although it will. We don't just do biblical conflict because all your relationships will grow and be better because of it, although they will. We simply walk into conflict biblically because this is what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. The peacemaker sent his son to be a peacemaker so that we can now be peacemakers. So as we go into our 120 seconds, I, I would just encourage you to sit with this idea and maybe these questions that we asked, that God would change us and transform us, not just from the forgiveness of our sins, although he has done that, but that he would use some of the most uncomfortable situations in our life to bring God glory, to serve others, and to bring the gospel to the relationships that we have. So we're gonna do 120 seconds here in a second, but let me pray for us as we do. God, thank you for this night. God, thank you for everybody here. God, I know there are relationships in this room that are filled with tension, that there are hurt feelings, that there have been wrongs done to us. God, I pray that you would do something in us over the next four weeks to change our view of conflict and that you would start by reminding us of the conflict that you have mediated between us and you through Jesus Christ. God, thank you for showing us mercy over wrath. Thank you for showing us grace. God, I pray you'd help us to be bold enough to grow in this area that we might bring the grace and mercy and love of Christ that we experience to Oklahoma City, the people we work with, the people we live near, our family, our coworkers, that we might be lights in a dark world because you have brought us from separation to unity with you through Jesus. In your son's name, amen.